Happy almost Valentine's Day, everyone. So it's February, we're talking about love, and in fact, for uh, those couples out here who want to do a bit of a recommitment ceremony at the end of my talk, we're, we're actually gonna do that. And so if you're at all interested, no pressure. <laughs> Honestly, those who would just, just feel called to do that, uh, at, the, at the end of the talk here will be a chance for um, us to be witnesses to your recommitment of love, if you choose to do that. Of course, if we're gonna talk about love, I think a place we ought to start is uh, talking about Facebook. <laughs> well, bear with me, bear with me. So how many people here have made the move to Facebook, or at least have an account on Facebook? Okay, so yeah, well over half, all right. So what was the most agonizing part of setting up your Facebook account? Choosing who gets to see what. Choosing who gets to see what. For me, it was picking out the picture. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm like looking through pictures of myself and I'm going, well, now how do I want to really be represented to my friends? And, and so, of course, one of the things I did is I looked through all, all the other friends that were already there and, and I looked at their pictures. I got to tell you, some of those pictures were taken a long time ago. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> I remember my, one of my high school friends there, and I swear it was her high school picture. <laughs> Why do you think it is that we care so much uh, about how we look? Uh, my, my partner just the other day had to go in and get his driver's license renewed, and he came out of the, he came out of the, the bedroom and bathroom that morning, and I went, oh my God, what's going on today? He looked gorgeous. <laughs> and, and he said, well, I'm getting my driver's license picture retaken it's like so what the policeman or you know it's like what what is this why, why do we care so much it reminds me of a few years ago gosh I guess about 10 years ago I was on match.com for a while while I was single and I remember one of the agonizing things about there is it wanted you in some detail to talk about your hobbies and, and, and what you like best in the world. And I remember what some of the people wrote. It was like, what's your hobby? Romantic walks on the beach. It's like, that's not a hobby. I mean, I don't think it's a hobby. <laughs> okay. So, so let's, exactly. I, could, I couldn't agree more. Well, I think what it is, first of all, we sort of want to put our best foot forward, don't we? We want to be perceived as, as being likable and, and, and attractive, and, and I'm all for that. It kind of makes sense. But I got to ask you, at some point, it goes from putting your best foot forward into just kind of fibbing about yourself, isn't it? It's like, why would we want people to think of us looking like we did when we were 25, when we're you know, 50 or something. Why would we put on a, on a profile about what our, uh, our hobby is and put romantic moonlight walks on the beach? It's a sales job. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, it's a little dishonest to sell something that isn't authentically us. And it's a big point in the book and, and the material we're covering this week, Real Love, it talks about this idea of love being really critical that we show up the way we really are for a couple different reasons. First of all, if we show up as an idealized version of ourselves, and do you know what I mean? It's like the, the us that we always wish we were but aren't really. 
Do you know what I mean? If we show up like that and someone either falls in love with that or wants to be that person's friend, they're not really hooking up with me. It's, it's, it's kind of a fiction. It's kind of like an idealized version of me. They're not really meeting me yet. They're meeting uh, someone either that I used to be or someone that I would really hope someday I could be. They're, they're meeting the me that my dog thinks I am. Do you know what I mean? That person that can do no wrong, that person that, that's always perfect. That's what they'd be meeting. And there's some real dangers in this. First of all, first of all, can I ever live up to that? If I really paint the picture of me as handsome and young and vibrant and perfect, and, and I mean some of those things I identify with, but the maintaining of that on the earthly realm, oh my gosh. It reminds me of, uh, of a client that I had a few years ago, and, and she hadn't dated in some time, and so we were talking about her sense of really being herself and, and, and really taking ownership of her as a, as a powerful and attractive woman. And, uh, and so we had talked about that, and sure enough, uh, she, she ended up, I think she was on Match.com, and she, she got an introduction to, to go out with someone. And, and it kind of her parting shot on one session was, well, I have to go out and, and buy a new dress. Well, I'm just looking at her because I've never seen her wear a dress. <laughs> and I said, well, why, you know, what's that about? And she said, oh, well, it's a girl thing. You just need to know that every woman has to have a little black dress. And so she told me a little bit about that. And it made sense in a way from that idea of putting your best foot forward. And, and I'm all with that. But I thought to myself, you don't even own a dress right now. What are you presenting, right? It's like, are you making a picture of yourself that really doesn't exist, that's never going to be fulfilled? And if some fellow in particular is attracted to that version of you, you're going to put on nylons for the rest of your life? I don't think so. <laughs> so when we meet someone... When we are embarking upon, whether it's a job interview or a date, or just showing up somewhere ready to meet friends, let it be us. Let it be authentically, completely us. Now, it's still fine if we put our best foot forward. I mean, let's wear the clean jeans, <laughs> right? I mean, of course, you know, you, you, you do want to be lovable. You do want to be attractive. But let it be us. Let it be individualized, unique us. And if that doesn't fit in with an idea of Madison Avenue's idea of, of perfection of the body, if that doesn't fit in with some fashion designer's idea of how young men or young women should dress, who cares? In fact, in fact, I do care because if you're projecting something that you're not, it tells me two things about you. It tells me that you're trying to protect or hide something, or it's telling me you want, you want to get something from me. If you're having to put on a show so that I'll be your friend, if you're having to be somebody different, if you're having to look somebody different so that I'll be attracted to you or be your friend or be interested in you or, or just talk to you, I bet it's because you want something from me. I bet that there's something perceived in you that's lacking 
That if only I became that other person, if only I did those other things, if only I looked that certain way, then, right, then my world would be different. Then people would like me. Then, you know, I'd get the better job. Then I'd get the better date. Then I'd, I'd have something that I don't have now. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. And happiness has a, a very simple formula, according to Greg Bear, and I want to share it with you because I think it's a powerful one. He says that truth brings seeing, which brings acceptance, and which brings love. And I want to walk us through that a little slower. Truth being integrity with who I am, when I show that up, show up that way, then other people will see me for who I am. Other people will get a, a pure and, and careful glimpse at really what I am, what they can expect from me, what I stand for, the values that I have, the way I show up in, in body and in spirit. And don't you think that there's a kind of integrity, a kind of ringing true that goes with it? So they not only see me as I am, but they see the authenticity in me of being and showing up the way I am. Even if they're false, even, you know, warts and all, as they say, it, I would show up being authentic. So when people see me as being authentic, then they can accept me. And it's me that they're accepting. It's me that they're actually inviting into their life as a friend, as a partner, as a co-worker, as, as whatever it might be. And then, and I think only then, our relationship, whatever it is, whether it be a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend or a lover or a partner, then the relationship is based on reality. And there's none of that, well, uh, well, I thought you were this way. I, I know for men, it's often like how messy our apartment is. Do you know what I mean? It's like the first couple times you come over to our apartment, we've made the effort and the sink isn't piled up and the, the hamper isn't full of dirty clothes or worse yet, the dirty clothes aren't spread out on, on the floor. But usually about date number three, right? Or you'll notice the guy never wants to meet you at his apartment. This is not good. <laughs> when, when relationships begin like this, three or four months into it, what happens? It's like, no, I want the guy back from a month ago. I want the woman that I fell in love with. I want the person that, that wanted the romantic walk on the beach and now they're nowhere to be found. It's because, and I don't think we did it on purpose, I don't think we actively decided I'm going to deceive someone, but we showed up as someone else. And so for true love to flourish, for this idea of truth, bringing seeing bringing acceptance and bringing love, the very first part of it is us being as honest as we can about ourselves, about who we are, how we show up, what we look like, even, even to our Facebook profile. Okay, so let's say we've done all this and we've done a, a fairly good job of it and we're in some kind of a relationship. And again, whether it's a friendship relationship, whether it's, a, it's lovers or partners, whether it's even co-workers, still stuff, as they say, can happen, right? We can have a new awareness of someone in our life. We thought they show, were showing up in one way 
And oh my gosh, here's this other thing. Either we're six months into a friendship relationship and for the very first time we hear our friend absolutely yell and chew out someone for no reason at all. Or we go over to our friend's house that is usually immaculately picked up and oh my God, a tornado went off in there. Is this the same person? How do we respond to these kinds of things? Because I think it's important. And again, part of it is responding in honesty. Part of it, though, will come down to one of four paths. And and here I'm going to steal completely from Greg Bear because he says when you're faced with a situation where reality, what you thought someone, uh, the reality of someone and what you thought of someone are quite different and not to your liking, he says we basically have four choices. And I'm going to take the first two choices. These are the choices he says we should never take. And yet, I would suggest to you, these are the two choices that most often we take. The first one is, we're going to change that other person. We're going to make them clean up after themselves. We're going to make them dress better. We're going to make them be more polite to service people when we go to a restaurant. We're going to... We're, we're going to make them uh, behave better. And, you know, whatever that might be. Oh, my gosh. Does it ever work? I, I mean, I have seen people try this. I, you know, I was blessed with two sets of grandparents that, that lived in my hometown, and we got to visit with them all the time. And I loved these grandparents uh, dearly, both sets of them. But, oh, my gosh, they were different as day and night to each other. And the one set of grandparents, my my father's parents, they had spent 35 years trying to correct each other's behaviors. And I got to tell you, the nerves were pretty raw by the end of that time, right? It was still yelling at each other. You're not picking up after yourself. You know, you're you're buying things that are too expensive. It was just, it was one thing after another. It got so as a child. And of course, one of the nice things about having one's parents in town, right, is they get to be the babysitters. And so my parents usually would go out on Saturday night and have some fun, and I'd be at one set of grandparents or another. And although I knew I absolutely knew that both sets of my grandparents loved me dearly and they treated me just beautifully. Guess which set of grandparents I usually didn't want to go to? It was hard just to listen to them interact with each other. I truly believe you can't change somebody else. If that's the game plan, I think you're going to end up like that set of grandparents sooner or later. And when it gets right down to it, should we want to change someone else? So much of what we find objectionable in someone else is just who they are. How would we like it if someone came up to us and said, you know, you really should wear a tie more often and you, you know, you really should take care of this. And, and I was noticing when you were, you were talking up there last Sunday, you know, have you thought about doing this and doing that? It's like, oh, I'd hate that. <laughs> I would totally hate that. And most of what we do in life, it isn't right or wrong. It's just a preference, isn't it? Now, what I think is interesting is even something about messiness, right? I would bet if we did a, a little poll in the audience of, of messiness and whether messy is acceptable or not, 
We, we could line the people up on these two aisles, and I bet I would get an equal number of people that would say, oh, messy is terrible. It's a sign of a scattered mind, and, and when your life is messy, you're never going to get anywhere. And then we'd have a line of people that would say, well, first of all, I take objection to your term messy. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with having all of your stuff within easy access. <laughs> Can you imagine? Right? This is life. This is life. We're not going to change either of those two groups of people into the other. And how dare me think that I would or that I should. Life in all of its diversity is here to be a blessing to us. And just because I might have one set of values, one thing that I think is really important, does not guarantee that even the person I'm married to will share those same values. All right, it leads us to number two. So the first coping behavior is trying to change the other person, and we've already discovered that's not a good one. The second one is to grin and bear it. This also is what most people do, and it's equally dangerous. It's the try to look the other way, but does it ever really work? Nothing really is going to change. Your values aren't going to change. If your partner isn't going to change, and so you just keep trying to look the other way. It's like he just keeps slamming the door when he leaves, and every time you just kind of go, oh, why does he do that? I've talked to him about that a thousand times. This really isn't any better, is it? It's living with some point of misery in your life. Okay, so what are the two things that we can do? We don't want to change the other person. We don't want to just grin and bear it. What are the two positive things we can do? The first one may shock you, and it's to leave. We always have the choice to leave. And whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's co-workers on a job, sometimes the choice may seem like a drastic one. You know, quit your job because you don't get along with the co-workers. It sounds drastic, and yet it is a viable choice. If something is going on that is so against your values that you, you really cannot cope with it, then don't cope with it. Leave. It's a big gulp. I understand that. It's not something we would do lightly, especially in a, in a marriage or a partnership. But if there is something that is just intolerable from your perspective, even, even if it to other people is seen as just a preference, then I say, do the right thing. Why keep each other miserable? Why keep trying to change someone when they're not going to? Why keep sitting by day after day? That's that one set of grandparents again. And I got to tell you, when I got to be about 14 years old, I remember I went up to my father and I said to him about his parents, why are they still married? Okay, now what's number four? I think number four is the best of the choices. But it requires some work. And guess who has to do the work? <laughs> yeah, it's me, isn't it? I'm not going to get someone else to change. But what I know about me is I can change. 
good gosh, over the years I've changed in any number of ways. And one of the ways that I can change is to accept people the way they are. Now I'm going to hope that people present themselves as they are so I don't have to guess. And we, we talked about that. It's very important, I think, in a relationship not to try to pretend to be someone you're not. Not to try to meet someone else's needs if you don't really believe in it. Anytime in a relationship when we try to, to do what the other person wants when it's really against our own ideas, this is bad because we're, we're doing that kind of transactional love. I'll love you if you behave the way I want. I'll, I'll behave the way you want to make peace even though I don't believe in it. These are, these are not good for the long term. So we need to show up with authenticity in the relationship and when we do, we can expect an honoring coming back the other way. We can expect that the other person really is going to evaluate either I'm going to accept this person, this behavior, this way of being, or hopefully then the other thing to do, even though it sounds drastic, is I'm going to leave. This is not the easiest path. But if we want to experience love, if we want to experience a, a kind of love that is undiminished with time, I think this is what we have to do. And I will use as an example the other set of grandparents. Now, the other set of grandparents, my mother's parents, I don't know. I never once witnessed that my grandfather told my grandmother that he loved her. And, you know, people born in the 1800s, he was born in 1892, I don't know that that was kind of done then, but as a child, there was never any doubt in my mind that the two of those people loved each other until the end of time. And I remember at 70 years old when my grandmother had um, a, a series of heart attacks and really was fairly incapable of taking care of herself. The change that happened in that household. Here was a man, my grandfather, who had always had the meals cooked by someone else, had never, never even understood how a washing machine worked, I don't think. No idea, really, of those. I mean, he took care of the bills, and he did the things that in his generation the fellow in a relationship would do. And I want to tell you, that man learned how to cook. He learned how to, how to do, the, do the clothes. And, and I remember um, a, as a teenager, um, and, and my parents, you know, well, we can, we can have someone do some of this work for you, right? I mean, it's a little difficult at 70 to begin learning how to cook. My grandfather said, I want to do this for her. This is the love of my life. And I'm sure that I can learn how to do the laundry. It's like we were just about in tears. This is the kind of love that will endure because it focuses on the things that people have in common. It focuses on the things that are working right. It's focusing on the, the, the beauty of what you have going together instead of focusing on the differences. The one set of grandparents, what did they focus on? They focused on the things that they didn't like about each other. They focused on the odd and weird little things that didn't seem right with each other. The other set of grandparents, they focused on what they had in common. They focused on their lives together. They, they focused, if a problem came up, they focused on solving it as a team. Not on saying, you should do this or you should do that, but how are we going to get through this? 
This, I think, is the secret to a healthy relationship. First of all, it's showing up authentically as we are. And secondly, it's highlighting what we really want to experience together. It's not highlighting the, the things that go wrong. It's not highlighting the little personality quirks and issues. It's being able to accept one another in the full glory of who we are. No strings attached. So I want to close today with a short quote from Real Love, and then we're going to do our commitment ceremony. And again, those people who, who feel called can just stand at the, the end of their aisle and uh, we'll go through it together. If you're not prepared or haven't had a chance to think about it, it's fine. You don't, certainly don't have to do this today. All right, so let me close the way he closes this chapter. Craig Bear says, Remember, we don't have the right to make a choice for other people. We need to focus on taking our own steps towards feeling loved, being authentic, and being loving. It is these choices that always bring us true happiness. So now I would invite uh, those couples who would like to participate in our recommitment ceremony to please stand up. We have roses for you if you'd like to get a, a rose or two. And of course, for those couples that are participating, your, your secret phrase will be, I do, at the, at, at the appropriate time. Just, I, I remember one year I did it, and there were several blank looks, like, what should I say? So, <laughs> so the secret words would be, I do, if you feel called to. So today we come together in celebration to recognize the commitment and love that is present for couples to thrive. It is through honesty, through support, through encouragement, and through faith but most importantly, through love, that this union grows and becomes more intimate with time. True commitment is a commitment to oneself first, to the integrity of our thoughts, emotions, words, and deeds. And as we are committed to our own vision and our own intentions, then, and only then, can we make a true commitment of love to one another. With this viewpoint, we can say, because you have loved me, you have given me faith in myself. And because I have seen the good in you, I have received faith in humanity. So in loving one another, we make it possible to love all of humankind. Today we sanctify, we bless, we encourage, and we support the experience of this union through our awareness of wholeness and commitment, both to the self and to the other. So let us now declare this commitment. Do you choose to bring awareness to your lives to let go of the past and be fully present for one another. Do you today and every moment hereafter imply that all things are made new? Okay. Do you choose to seek the truth, to daily express your love and appreciation for life, for yourselves and for others? And do you choose to support and acknowledge your own and each other's accomplishments and dreams? Okay. Do you agree to love, to, off, to offer comfort, to honor, and to cherish and appreciate each other, knowing that you each represent the face of God? And do you agree to communicate openly and to really listen to one another? And now for everyone here, whether you're part of a couple or not, it's a vow to ourselves. Do you, everyone present, promise your unconditional love to yourself? 
Do you give yourself the right to be authentically you and to lovingly communicate that to others? Do you promise to be a guiding light for yourself, your family, your friends, and your community? Do you love, honor, and cherish yourself in sickness and in health for as long as you shall live? By the power vested in me, by the Centers for Spiritual Living, in the light of truth and in the path of unity, I now pronounce us all the beloved. <laughs> and so you may kiss or cheer or applaud or a hug or whatever you'd like to do.